please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we come again today to give you thanks for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We worship you and we honor you and we open our hearts to you. Thank you for being present with us and for what you desire to do in this place, on this day, at this time. We give you thanks through Jesus Christ. Amen. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others here in worship today. I just want to mention a couple of things uh, in your bulletin. Uh, on Easter Sunday, which is April 1st, we will be, uh, as has been our practice for many, many years, we will be baptizing those who are interested in doing that at the earlier service that day. If you're interested in being baptized or knowing more about that, just uh, let me know. Uh, you can give me a call or talk to me uh, here on Sundays, next few weeks, and we'll have a class in preparation for that uh, leading up to Easter Sunday. And I also just wanted to remind you that this next weekend, uh, the morning of the 11th, we turn our clocks forward. And so uh, we lose that extra hour of sleep next Sunday. Just want to remind you of that. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, we thank you that in Christ you have made a way. Thank you that in Christ you come to us, you set us free. Father, this morning as we gather in this place, we come with hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done. And we also hear your invitation come to you with the burdens and the concerns of our hearts and our lives. Father, today we, we think about our world. We pray for those who are refugees, struggling to find home and security, safety. We pray for those who, who live in places of war and violence, who simply want to to enjoy their family and go to their work and engage in their relationships. We pray that you'd bring peace in these warring, violent places. We pray, Father, for people who have been affected by recent tragedies and disasters all around the world and, and continue to be. We pray for those still recovering in this country as well. We pray, Father, for this nation, for the the leaders of our nation. We ask that you would work in their hearts and their lives to do what is good and right and just and righteous. Father, we thank you for your church around the world. 
We pray today for Chris and Melissa George as they work in Perth, Australia. We pray for Melissa's recovery from recent surgery. and For those who are taking her place while she is recovering. We pray for Chris's workload and, and his continuing to... Uh, we ask that you would continue to provide more and more people to help them in a place that is difficult and yet a place where you want to do great things. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who worship you in secret, waiting for that just that right time to disclose their faith in you. We pray that they would grow in Christ. We pray that they would have uh, the ability to, to encounter the word for Christian fellowship, for courage to bear witness of you. We pray for your grace upon so many of our brothers and sisters who live in such difficult circumstances. And Father, we pray for churches around us. We pray for today, today for the Belfast First Baptist Church and Pastor Franklin. May your grace be upon them. May they sense your spirit leading them and uniting them and giving them your grace to, to share with their community and beyond. And Father, we think of the needs that we bring today. Things on our hearts. We pray for all who are grieving. Pray especially for Skip Lord and his family. The death of his mother this week. We ask that you would fill them with your comforting presence. Father, we pray for all who are ill and injured and, and dealing with health issues. Pray for Florence Tuber and Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols, Bob Brown, Louise Princell, Hudson Hess, Nancy Cole, Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter, for Chuck Barrett and Cheryl O'Brien and Ben King and Doris Esepian. Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, for Bill Getty and Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Emily Cricklar, and so many others. May your healing grace and power be upon each of them. Father, we pray for our families that you would, you would give us grace and, and continue to transform our homes. We pray for our children and our youth we ask that, that at this, the young stages of their lives, they would know how much you love them and that we would bear witness to that love every day to them. We pray for our relationships, that you would, you would mend and repair what is broken, that you would continue to enhance what is already good. We pray for our financial struggles. We ask that you would help us to see that you are a God who meets every need, who is generous beyond what we could ever imagine. And out of that generosity, make us to be more and more generous people. Pray, Father, for plans that are out in front of us. Some are thinking about the next steps of life, new job or the same job, or other kinds of decisions about the future. We pray that you would lead and guide and give us grace to trust you. Give us, Father, hearts that are open to you. Give us hearts that desire to love like you. Father, open our eyes to your daily grace. Make us more and more grateful. 
We ask that you will continue to change us and work in us every day. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus, who goes to the cross for our sins and the sins of all people, and who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading, children are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. Our scripture reading is Mark 15, verses 33 through 41. Following the tradition of the church, if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was a son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph. And Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is the word of the Lord. darkest day Christ on the road 
Please be seated. You know, when we sing a song like that, it, it makes us feel grateful to God for what he's done. But there's also an element in that song that, that reminds us of the, of the pain and the destructiveness of sin. I'm not sure we always grasp, I'm not sure we always remember the destructive nature of sin. Now, we, we see the destructive nature of sin in places like Columbine or Auschwitz, South Sudan or the Sierra Leonean Civil War, our own Civil War. We, we can see it in places like Montgomery in 1963 or Parkland, Florida in 2018. But I think we sometimes miss the reality, the truth of the, of the destructive nature of sin every day in our lives. What we find when you, when you look at the Garden of Eden and you see the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve have with each other and with God. And then you begin to see what happens after sin enters the, the picture. You see the destructiveness. Their relationship is not the same, just as our relationships get destroyed. And at the center of all of that is their relationship with God as it is with us. Where there was once intimacy, now there's distance. Where there was once dependency, now there's independence. Where there was once knowledge, Now there's ignorance. Where there was once fellowship, now there's disconnectedness. Where there was once trust, there's suspicion. And I don't I don't know if there's any more more visible symbol, no more visible thing. that we see in the scriptures of, of what sin does to our relationship with God than the curtain that we find in the tabernacle and the temple. We probably don't give that a lot of thought. But in the tabernacle and the temple, there is the, the tabernacle is made of courts. The outer court is as far as the Gentiles can go. The, the next court's as far as Jewish women can go. The next court's as far as Jewish men can go. The next court is where the sacrifices all happen. And, and where the priests do the things that they do. And then the, the very last place is a smaller room that is called the most holy place. From some translations of scripture, the holy of holies. And here we find in Exodus 26, uh, it says, Across the inside of the tabernacle... 
hung a special curtain made of fine linen with cherubim skillfully embroidered into the cloth using blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And God, this is God's command. Hang this inner curtain on gold hooks set into four posts made from acacia wood and overlaid with gold. And the posts will fit into silver bases. And when the inner curtain is in place, put the Ark of the Covenant behind it. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Then put the Ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of the Ark of the Covenant inside the most holy place. It is the place where the ark is. It is the place where God says, this is where I dwell. This is my special place. And when you come to Leviticus 16, you find God saying to them, the Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. The penalty for intrusion is death. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud Over the atonement cover. This is a place where one person, the high priest, could enter one day a year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And entering any other time of the year meant death. Anyone else entering meant death. This is the most holy place. And this curtain separates the presence of God... From everybody else. It's a wall. A barrier. Between the holy God. And human iniquity and sin. And when you look at that curtain. It, it, it's. You know. It, Josephus says. The historian says. It's 60 feet tall. 30 feet wide. Now, I used to think. This curtain. You know. I, the only thing in my mind. Was a shower curtain. Or. You know, the curtain you might see a changing room in a store or something. This thing is massive. And it's made of of braided yarn, 24 threads in the braid of all different colors. It's not only it's only huge, but it's thick and heavy. And the thing about that curtain is it might only be a few inches wide, but quite frankly, it might as well be a few miles wide. Because the distance between one side and the other is almost infinite. The holiness of God and human sinfulness, the separation. And that's what's so fascinating to me about all three of the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us that when Jesus breathes his last breath, When he no longer ceases to live, the shadow of the cross falls on the temple. And it's almost as if as that shadow falls on the curtain, beginning at the top, it shreds it right down the middle. You know this is something from God, and I think that Matthew and Mark both point this out, because they are clear to say it tears from top 60 feet high, to bottom. This is something only God could have done. And it's as if the cross, the shadow of the cross coming down that curtain is like a knife splitting it. And when God does that, that torn curtain is telling us that God, what God has always, how God created us and what God has always wanted for us 
intimacy with him. God has created us for intimacy with him. We see it in the garden. We lose it when sin enters this world. And it continues to get worse and worse. And God finally sends Jesus. And in the cross, at the death of Jesus, we see it clearly once again. It's not as if God decided all of a sudden, I think I'd like to have intimacy with these people. That's been God's plan from the beginning, even when sin entered the world. Isn't it interesting that the the separation of the holiest place and the rest of the temple is not a wall with a door. It's a curtain. Curtains have the feel of being a lot more temporary than a wall. And I think that's intentional. I think God is trying to tell people, yes, there's a separation. There's distance. But I want intimacy with you, and I'm going to do something about it. And eventually the day is going to come, and that curtain is going to be torn. And that day is when the cross, when the shadow falls on it and tears it in two. God wants intimacy with his people. He always has. And Jesus comes to give us that intimacy. Jesus comes to make a way between us and God. Jesus comes to, in that intimacy, to forgive our sins and to set us free. The writer of Hebrews talks often about the curtain. In chapter 10, he says, By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing so near. So brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And in chapter 6, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This is not just about intimacy with God, though. This is about access to God. When the curtain opens, what has been hidden, what has been blocked, what has been stopped, now is opened. We have full access to God. It's interesting that when that happens, you now have a sense that that it's no longer about some people having access to God, one priest having access to God, one nation of people having access to God, but everyone has access to God. It's wide open. And that means that Now, not just one group of people is special, everybody is special. Everybody is valuable to God. Every person is important to God. Every person has access to God. Because the curtain is open. 
I think sometimes that's been hard for God's people to accept. I think it was hard for Israel to accept. I think sometimes it's hard for the church to accept. Because it feels one of the things that one of the ways in which we give value to ourselves is that we are more special than someone else. We have we know more than someone else does. We've had experiences that someone else hasn't had. We've been able to do things that other people haven't been able to do. We're closer to someone than somebody else is. And, And those kinds of things cause us to feel like we are more special than other people. And to be more special than other people, in our opinion, in the way we interpret it, tends to be we are special. And for God to say it's open to all people, he's saying everyone is special. And in our minds, that means no one is special. But that's simply not the case. And so what do we do with that? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I've been pondering this, looking at this, whether the, they put up a new curtain after that or if it was just done. I suspect they put a new curtain back up. And I find that fascinating if that's the case, because isn't that what we do all the time? I mean, don't we find ways to put up new curtains? We're always finding ways to say, these people are not worthy. These people shouldn't have access. You can't do that and have access to God. You can't do that and have access to God. You can't be like that and have access to God. I have a friend who said to me, I think if you look at the history of the church, probably it can be defined as much as anything else by this continual struggle to figure out who's in and who's out. And we're always trying to figure that out. Even though God is the only one who really knows that. And our role is not to figure out who's in, who's out. Our role is not to put up more curtains and to block people. Our role is to try to do as much as we can to help people see that God has welcomed them and invited them and given access to them through Jesus. But here's the thing that I find fascinating about this curtain is that it's not just that now we have access to God, but there is a sense in which now God has access to us. That may sound strange. But there is a sense when that curtain is opened that now what has been placed in a room, this holy place, now is free. I was reading somewhere where someone said when the curtain is open, what that means now is that there's no longer anything Sacred, everything is common. And I think I know what they mean, but I think it should be said the other way around. It's not now that everything is common, it's now that everything is sacred. Everything is holy. Because it's not that when the curtain is open, the commonness of humanity seeps into the place and dilutes this holy place, but rather that this holy place comes out, seeps out, and now fills everything that's common and makes it holy. I mean, that's what happens with everything in the temple. As soon as something is dedicated to the use of God in the temple, it now becomes holy. And to use it any other way is to profane it. And the thing that I find about this curtain being open is that it reminds us, this torn curtain reminds us 
that the cross is not just about forgiving our sins, as important as that is. It's not just about access to God, as awesome as that is. It's ultimately about God's ultimate purpose, and that is to make us holy like himself. The cross is about not just forgiving us, but it's changing us. It's transforming us. It's making us people who who think the way Christ thinks. People who do what Christ does. People who see the way Christ sees and think the way Christ thinks. It's about becoming holy as he is holy. When when this curtain opens, we see more clearly than ever that that is God's design for his people. And Jesus does not go to the cross just to forgive us our sins and so we can escape hell and go to heaven. As true as that is and as awesome as that is, he has so much more for us. He wants the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we exude the fruit of his spirit. So that we become people of love and peace and joy and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control. So that we become people who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. I think one of the problems we have with this, talking about holiness, is that we have a tendency to think that that's about rules. Because sometimes it gets equated with rules. Holy people are people who always follow the rules. Nothing could be further from the truth. Holy people are people who are free to love the way God loves. To be generous the way God is generous. To engage ourselves in the world the way God does. To be holy is not to be confined. It's to be set free. And as the shadow of the cross falls on that curtain, it's an act, an invitation to be open to God, to be set free. Because that torn curtain is all about Jesus at the center of of our lives and our world. Which is really what it means to be holy. Ever since I was a little boy, I've loved doing puzzles. And my parents tell me when I was small, you know, I, I just, I loved doing puzzles. They would occupy my time for hours just doing puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. And I've always loved doing puzzles. I got a whole I get shelves of puzzles at home. Usually for Christmas or birthday, I get a puzzle, often more than one puzzle. And, and, it, and even though I can become obsessive, compulsive about it, you know that, I'll, I'll stay up one more, a little bit later to get that one more piece. And then you think, oh, I'll get one more piece, right? You all have been there. It's really very relaxing to me. And, and I enjoy it, and I look forward to doing these puzzles. And you know, when you do a puzzle... The first thing you do is you separate out all the border pieces and you put the border together. And then you work in from there. You you, you figure out where the edges are. You get the edges in place. And then you start fixing the center and you move to the middle. I was reading something by J.D. Wald. He teaches at Asbury the other day. And he was talking about puzzles. And he says, do you know of anybody who starts a puzzle in the center? 
And I thought, no, I've, I've never started a puzzle in the center. Because it's hard to start the puzzle in the center. You don't even know quite where to begin when you start the puzzle in the center. You need some frame of reference with the puzzle. And that's why you do the border and the edges. And he says, nobody starts a puzzle in the center except God. God starts the puzzle in the center because Jesus is in the center of the puzzle. And while you and I think about our lives related to borders and edges and boundaries, God is thinking about starting in the center and just moving out with no boundaries. It's like the endless puzzle. And I think that's what this curtain being torn is opening up for us. It is calling us to be people in whose lives Jesus, the King, is at the center. It's calling us to be people who, whose presence in this world is calling people for Jesus to be in the center. Because when Jesus is, the, is in the center, everything changes. Everything changes. And when we come to this table, we are coming acknowledging that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is in the center of everything, and that we want Jesus to be in the center of us. That we are grateful that he has forgiven our sins. We are grateful for all the great promises he's made to us, but we want more of him. Because in him is life. And everything we were created to experience. So as you see the temple curtain torn, hear God's invitation to more. Father, we thank you for the grace of Christ in giving us access and and freedom and, and forgiveness. And we thank you for your call to more. We pray today that, that your blessing would rest upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, our hearts will be full of Jesus. Gratitude and desire and yearning and openness. And may this food, may this food fill us with the presence of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar is always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your robes. Let the usher know as 
The row is released, and I have gluten-free wafers and cups here as well. So let me know if you need those to come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. If your heart is open to God, if you come today with the desire for more of God, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.